Uh, so we want to, uh, ladies, today we celebrate each of you. Uh, you may be here this morning. Uh, you, maybe, maybe you're a, a mom biologically, maybe you're a biological mom. We've got foster moms here, so maybe you're a foster mom or an adoptive mom. And you, maybe you're a, you're a spiritual mom. We see that in Scripture, no children of your own, but God has used you in significant ways to pour into the life of another and so spiritually, and so happy mothers to our moms here today. Thank you, men. Let's give them a, let's give them a round of applause. Mothers, happy Mother's Day. Happy, there you go. There, he's got it. He's got it down. All right. I kind of want her back up here. She was, the, she was the star, man. I also do want to say this. Maybe you're here today, uh, and it's really not a day of rejoicing for you. Um, maybe, maybe you've recently lost a mom. Uh, maybe you have a desire to be a mom and that hasn't happened in your life. Um, just trust in this. God knows you. God loves you. He values you. He's the God of all comfort. And we too, as a church family, we love you and we value you this morning. And part of our responsibility and, and, and privilege is really to come alongside one another, to sort of come alongside you and, and, and to pray with you and comfort and listen just to be with you. But thank you for being with us today as well. Anybody like quotes? Anybody history people? You just like quotes? If you haven't noticed, some of the greatest quotes in all of history were given to us by moms. Uh, when I think about it, I'm not really sure what I would have done without some of these quotes in my life, some of these words of wisdom. Uh, I think about uh, this famous quote um, that I heard over and over again, don't make that face or it might freeze, right? Wait until your father gets home. Uh, what am I, chopped liver? I don't even know what that means, but I don't know. Maybe your top liver. Money doesn't grow on trees. We learned that one real quick, don't we? This hurts me more than it hurts you. I look at my mom and say, oh, really? Right? I don't know where that came from. That will get your mouth washed out with soap. Um, and, I, and I love this quote. Shut your mouth and eat your dinner. I'm not sure how that works. Maybe osmosis or something, but uh, moms, if you said that, stop it. Right? And so... Uh, moms, you, you guys teach us about God. You teach us about talking to God. Uh, you better pray that comes out of the carpet. <laughs> you teach us about time travel. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to send you into the middle of next week. Right? You teach us about the circle of life. I brought you into this world. I can take, yeah, you moms know that one. Maybe she taught you about behavior modification. Stop acting like your father, right? And how about justice? Mom, teach us about justice. One day you'll have kids, and I hope they turn out just like you. <laughs> I don't know. That's good stuff. Uh, I was thinking about and preparing and praying about Mother's Day and today's message. It's always tough to, to prepare. I, I tell my wife, Mother's Day is the hardest one for me to prepare for because all ladies are different. Every situation is different. Everybody's encouraged in different ways. Hey, Ben. Hey, man, good to have you back, man. I have ADD, by the way, church. Good to have you back. So um, I don't even know where I'm at. But for me, just preparing for a message for Mother's Day is tough. I'll get, I'll get, I'll get straightened out, guys. I'm not going to be like this the whole time, okay? Um, but it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's tough because everybody's in a different place. You, maybe you had a mom, you lost a mom, you haven't had kids yet. And so that's always tough. But one of the things that Mother's Day always does for me is thinking about how to honor and encourage moms is I always sit back and I just think about my mom. You guys do that? You ever just sit back and think about your mom, whether she's still here or maybe she's with the Lord now or just reflecting on, on my mom and really reflecting on my wife. 
I was able to tell my mom recently on the phone, just going through some family stuff, and, and there were some three things that I, there were three things that I was able to tell my mom thank you for, and, and uh, tell, tell her and my dad thank you for, and, and the three things were this, they were great examples to us in three areas, one was earth work ethic, you know, work hard, do your, do your best, get after it, right, whether you're a boss or whether you're an employee or whether you're doing it on your own, just that good work ethic, uh, they taught me even during hard times to be faithful to one another, Marriage is hard, parenting is hard, relationships are hard, life is hard, but they continue to love one another. And the third was this, to know and to love and follow Jesus. And so um, I was able to tell my mom, thank you for those things. And guys, make sure everybody get on the phone, call your mom today, right? You guys actually know today is the, is the number one day in the country for phone calls. And that's a good thing. People call their moms today and tell them thank you. Um, I'm super grateful to have my, my mom for the godly example that she lives also to my wife, my wife <laughs> woke up in the middle of the night last night. We have a sick kiddo, and so she didn't get to be here today. And so pray for Jessica today. But I'm grateful for my wife um, and how she just does the same thing with our kiddos. And we're foster parents, so our foster kiddos. If you've ever met my wife and met our family, she loves our foster kids the same way she loves our kids. Are you with me? And so I just I love that. And she's able to, these, these kiddos just know that they're loved. Uh, they know they have that security and that stability in their home. Uh, they hear about Jesus. They, they see my wife following Jesus. So moms, grandmas, spiritual moms, uh, what you are doing matters. It has a lifetime and an eternal impact. And we just want to say thank you and that we love you. I know it's never enough, but thank you and we love you, ladies. Amen? Men, this is where you kind of say yes, right? You know, go along with me. Uh, as a church family, we're walking verse by verse. You guys are a tough crowd today. Just lighten up a little bit, okay? All right? As a church family, we're walking verse by verse through the life of Jesus and the gospel according to Mark. Uh, this week, we're, we're just taking a small pause from that as we celebrate Mother's Day and just kind of have a different, a different direction to go. We'll jump back into that next week and back in Mark chapter 14. But this morning, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Samuel. If you need to find that this morning, it's in the first uh, it's in the Old Testament, it's about the ninth, ninth book in, I think. So we're going to have a special service, not only focusing on ladies God has placed in our lives, but really our lives as well, but also taking time to publicly, with uh, five families, dedicating our children and our homes to God. And so we're going to see that in our text um, that we're studying this morning and other passages that we'll look at, but we are called by God to serve the Lord in our homes and to raise our children in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And so we're going to build up to that moment uh, as we just go through our service this morning. Uh, so we're going to be in 1 Samuel. And so anybody need a Bible? We've got Bibles at the end of the rows. Everybody got a Bible? If not, raise your hand. We can get you in one. Uh, but 1 Samuel is where we'll be at. While you're turning there, 1 Samuel chapter 1, I want to share a few things with you before we dive into this text. Whether you are a mom, a lady, or really any living human being, studies have shown any research people here, I love research I love just, I'm the only one, okay, okay I got you, all right, so we got a couple of research people here. Studies show, history shows, and our own lives show that we seem to always be pursuing a few things in our life. One is significance. We're always pursuing significance in our life. We're always pursuing security or stability, and we're always trying to find our identity and pursuing our identity. Uh, males and females, everybody kind of does that differently. We kind of do that in different ways for different reasons. Uh, looking more at moms, studies have shown that moms really have a strong desire to feel significant in what they do as mothers across the board. They also want to know that their families are safe and have security and stability. 
And one of the things that was on there for many, the questions showed that moms, uh, in fact, a large amount of moms often felt a lack of identity. A lack of identity. All of us in our lives want to have significance, to have security, and to have identity. But here's the reality. Too often we look at others and what they've done. Right? We look at others and what they've done. We can, we can try to pursue what they have or what they do. We got this mentality of if, if I, if I did what they did or if I, if I had what they had, I would have significance or value. Our society does a good job. In fact, society does too good of a job making us think that we need certain things in our lives so that we can be significant, secure, and have an identity. Right? You just look at commercials, you, look at, you just watch TV, you just pay attention to our society. They do a good job of telling us what we need. Maybe you think, man, if I'll, be, I'll just be set in life, I'll, I'll be valuable if I get married or if I get this job or if I have kids. I'll be good if I have this in my life, whatever this is. If I have this, I'll be, I'll be good. If I have... Whatever it is, really, church, I mean, every, everything that we, we pursue, maybe if I was like that person. Often, really, I think every single time, my opinion is every single time, whatever it is in which we are seeking things, whether we're seeking safety, security, significance, whatever it is that we're, think, whatever it is that we're seeking, those things really become the king of our life. It becomes to run our life. And I want us to see for the moms in here today, for all of us in here really today is this, is that God is the only one capable of truly fulfilling that role in your life, of truly being that king in your life. Why? Because everything and everyone else disappoints. You get that job, you get that degree, you get that guy, you get the girl, you get the sex, you get the money, whatever it is, you will never, they will never fully satisfy what you need. Everything else over promises and under delivers. Because they were never meant to be where you find your ultimate identity, safety, and significance. It was never supposed to be that way. The role belongs to God or to our Creator, and Jesus will never disappoint. So if you haven't already, open your Bibles to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel, verse 1. And our hope today is this, is that we walk out of here reminded, encouraged, or maybe hearing for the first time. That although life throws many things our way, causes us to be down, makes us feel like we have no significance or value or identity, we need to see that God is the one that we are to seek for those things in our life this morning. This morning we will see that in the life of a lady named Hannah. So let's look together at 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. I'll give you guys just a second to turn there. The first few verses will set the stage for us in verse 1. You have a man named, he's a, he's a man, he's a dad, he's a husband named Elkanah. In Elkanah, in verse 2, he had two wives. The, the name of, of one was, of one was uh, Hannah, and the name of the other was Panina. And Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man would go up from the city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh and the, and the two sons of Eli. So the, Eli was the high priest, and he had two sons up there as well. So he had Hophni and Pinhas. And they were priests to the lords there. So you have Elkanah, and he's this, he's this faithful man. He's a godly guy. And if you read all of verse 1, you'll see his heritage, his lineage there. And then we have Hannah. And lastly, we have Panina. And it seems strange that this man, man, we're looking at the Bible here, right? And this man has two wives. It might throw us off a little bit. It's believed that Hannah was his first wife, and then Panina was the second wife, uh, now, we know, I want to just throw this out there. We do know from God's word that that's not God's design to have more than one wife. Polygamy is not God's design for marriage. 
One man, one woman is his design. It was not, so what we see here, we just need to be clear on this, it was not sanctioned, it was not God's intention for, for Elkanah to have more than one wife. It never was, and it still isn't in marriage today. But in their society, think about culture. We look at our culture, and there's a lot of things that don't line up with the Word of God. Are you with me? Right? That even us as Christians follow. And so in their culture, it was permitted to have a second wife, especially if the first wife was unable to have children. And we'll talk more about that and why that's important. So we see in verse 2 that Hannah had no children, but Penina, the second wife, did. So there's the table. We know who we're looking at, right? Those are our main characters. When the day came, verse 4, that Elkanah sacrificed, they would go uh, to this city three times a year, right? So they're making a sacrifice. He would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. So the custom was that when they would go and they would take that animal to make a sacrifice... Some of the sacrifice was given to the Lord. They would make that sacrifice, but then the rest was eaten by that man and his family. Are you with me? And so he's given food to his second wife and to her kiddos or their kiddos. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion. Why? For he loved Hannah. But the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. When we look at Hannah, we, we see that she couldn't have any kids. There are women, there are, are couples all throughout history that couldn't or cannot get pregnant. Right? And you, you have all of those emotions, you have the loss, you have the thoughts, you have the realities that accompany that. Right? You, you grow up and you're like, I want to have kiddos. Are you with me, guys? I mean, there's that, there's that hurt and loss that comes with that. Things that are very real for those women and couples that are trying to have kids. And so Hannah finds herself in that boat. And I'm sure she's feeling as any other person in that scenario would feel. But for her, there's a little more to it with the kiddo situation. Because when we look at Hannah and looking at the time and the culture she's in, this was especially devastating deal. Because for them, having many children was viewed as being essential to having a good life. Most of the time we look around, you have too many children, you're like, you're not having a very good life. right? But, but for them, that was the big deal. There was, it was an agrarian culture. Right? Meaning their economy was basically based on producing and maintaining crops and their farmland. And so the more kids you had, especially the more boys you had, the more workers you had for your field. And, and so that also meant the more income you had. And the more income you had, the higher status you had in society. And beyond that, they weren't living in the United States today, right? They, they couldn't acquire things like Social Security. They couldn't put into and have their company match a 401k, right? They didn't have long-term disability policies. They don't have retirement and nursing homes. And so beyond the economic and social status reasons, the more kids, the more sons you had, there was more of a guarantee that in your old age you had someone to take care of you. So you have the economic reasons, you have the social reasons, you have the emotional reasons, you have the older age reasons, and then you have really the national reasons. Think about where they lived at. Their nation relied on families having many children for its ability to have a strong military and a strong economy. There was a lot tied into having kiddos. And so you kind of get this picture that this woman, that, that, that if you have a woman that could bear many children, she was kind of a hero, right? They, had, they carried a lot of value. Those women carried a lot of value. And if you could not bear children, many looked at you as, as useless, or at least of lesser value. Are you guys catching that picture with me this morning? Right? And so today having a lot of children isn't usually the symbol of a social status, wealth, and a prosperous future. 
In fact, Jessica and I, when we have our, our four kiddos, we'll go into the grocery store, we get all kind of looks. And that's just four kiddos, right? I don't even think that's a lot, right? Four kiddos, I don't think that's really that many, but we've been asked some silly questions, right? People will walk up, how can you possibly afford four kiddos? Who does that? Like, literally, they just walk up to us and ask us these questions. Or they're like, have you guys gone crazy? You guys think, I'm kidding. Anybody else have a lot of kiddos and have some just ridiculous questions asked to you? Or have you, when are you going to go crazy, right? Or any other silly question that they ask. So, so the status symbol today isn't really having many kids like it was in their day. Today we look at things and we say, okay, when we think about social status, where did you graduate from, Right? Where do you go to school at? How much money do you make? What position do you have? What neighborhood do you live in? How big is your house? What job do you have? Those are the things that our society puts a lot of clout in. But for them, for Elkanah and Hannah, family was it. Kiddos were it. For their culture, having a large family, it determined your significance, your value, your security, and your identity. And Hannah is here unable to have kiddos. And so she's there feeling insignificant feeling like she has no purpose and really like she has no hope and then the man she loves marries another are you with me guys right and so this is a this is a this is a tough place to be no boys or or any kids to help her in her future so she has all these feelings about all of this and then she has the culture that makes her feel a certain way and then to make things worse elkanah which is or or elkanah's other wife panina had a lot of kids so when we look at verse 6, we really see that Panina, what kind of name is that? Panina, I think that's on purpose, man, right? But Panina, she, she adds on to it and makes her feel like a complete failure. Look at what it says. It says, her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. It happened year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her. So she, Hannah, wept and would not eat. So first it says that the other wife is her rival that word in hebrew is the same word for adversary it was her adversary and then it says that she would provoke her her adversary would provoke her bitterly this is what that means she would do things intentionally to her say things to her and act certain ways towards her with the intent to cause hannah to feel bad to bring her to anger to cause her to have grief we have people in our life like that don't we and there's amen right And there's more. When it says that she would irritate her, this isn't talking about what our kids do in the back seat. You know, minivans are great, but you can't reach them, you know, if they're way back in the back, right? Sometimes you get kids in the back seat and they just do things to irritate each other. Are you with me? That's not what we're talking about here. The word used here in the Hebrew to irritate, it means this. It means to thunder against. That's what that word means. So he's really saying that the Panina would thunder against her. It's the same word that they would use in their day to describe how it would feel to be caught in a storm. It's the only time in the Bible that this word is used to describe a person's internal feelings. So we need to see the picture here of how Hannah felt of what was going on inside of her. Hannah is a deeply distressed individual. Because of the reality of the hardships that she might, that she's already facing in life, but that she also might face in life with no children. But also because she was either unintentionally or intentionally seeking the approval and the words of others. Either in her culture or even in her own home. So she has this social and economic pressure on her. She has this family pressure. She has this adversary in her life that provokes her. She's got this storm going on inside of her. And then verse 7, remember it says this, so she wept. And would not eat. 
Maybe you felt that way. Maybe you're here this morning currently feeling that way. Like you've got a storm going on inside of you. Maybe you just got that, that, that wounding, that hurting, that for whatever reason. You, you, you're constantly reminded of, according to our culture, of how, how you fall short compared to others. It's constantly in your mind or in your face or, or what others have and what you don't have. Maybe there's a neighbor that rubs it in your face. Maybe it's a sister or a brother or a person you see on social media that's just unkind, making little comments here and there, provoking you, irritating you, causing that storm inside of you. By the way, ladies, I, I think I'm okay talking about this, but I, I asked Jessica about this, but this just drives me. Why are ladies so mean to each other, especially on social media? I do not understand that, man. Guys can be jerks too, right? We say some bonehead things. Amen, man, right? Are you with me? We say some dumb things. But, but goodness, man, Jessica and I have, have, have talked about this many times. And I ask her, man, is this mean? Like, what, why would they say that? Are you with me? Am I wrong, ladies, or no, right? Am I, okay, okay, I just want to make sure, right? And I'm just, saying, I'm just asking Jessica, am I seeing this right? Am I reading this right? Are they really saying this? And she just said, yeah. She said, some women are just so mean to each other. And here's the, what she always says, especially when they're not face-to-face. But all of us do this. We seek the attention of other people. I think there's anybody in here that's not gone through that where they haven't sought the attention of other people. We pursue what society says. We listen to people that don't even like us, right? And what they say about our significance and our security and identity. And so Hannah here has is, is got that all around her and she's depressed and, and broken, probably thinking about every word that, that Panina has said to her and just kind of wondering if those things are true about her. She might even lay there at night just kind of just pondering about that and crying and asking God, why me? Why, what did I do to deserve this? And then you have Elkanah, her husband, and he sees her like this year after year, and he makes his moves. Ladies, you'll like the statement, and he just tries to fix it. That's what we do. We try to fix it. Look at what he does in verse 5. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. You got, you got to give it to him a little bit, right? He's trying. He's at least letting her know that she's loved and valued by him. But let me help you out, husbands. Next time your wife is down, the best response is not to give her an extra helpings of green beans, right? It's not to, don't give her an extra scoop of mashed potatoes or give her an extra steak. Now, if I'm down, I'll take the steak. Are you with me? Right? Guys are different, but just don't, ladies, is that okay, right? Maybe, maybe you want it. I don't know. But so, but we see this in verse 8. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat and why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So he's trying to reason with her and let her know how, how, how much he loves her. Again, he's just trying to help. He's trying to show her and, and help her with, with her value and tell, tell her how much he loves her. And that the love that they have between them is better than having ten sons. But when we think about Hannah and her situation, I think we can take a minute and see how applicable this is to every single one of our lives. She lives in a world, she lives in a culture where she is told that her value, her significance, her identity, her security is found in how well she can have children and how many kids she can pop out. That's what she's told, right? That is what her culture and Panina is conveying to her. Think about that. Society and Panina are basically saying to her, you are worthless because you have no children. 
And I'm sure she's done everything she can to fix that. And she's believing them. And her actions, her emotions are showing that she believes them. That she is worthless and there's no hope and there's no value in those security. Today we live in a world full of paninas. People, society telling us where they think real significance comes from. Telling us where they think security and identity comes from. People telling us that we should get our significance and identity and security from, our, from, our, from these things. Here's, here's what will make you significant. Here's what, what will give you security. Here's what will give you identity. It's your education. right? It's the size of your house. It's the size of your paycheck. It's how good you look. It's what shape you're in. And we begin to believe them and we begin to feel worthless. You and I, we all begin to feel like we don't measure up. Maybe you're a a young lady, man, I I just don't look like the other girls in school. Or maybe men, man, I'm just not as strong or I can't do what they can do. I don't don't make as much money as some of the other guys. I don't have as nice a car. I don't have a nice of a home. I only went to this school. I don't have the degree they have. I don't go to the school they went to. Whatever it is, church, and we start to believe it. And we feel as though we are worthless. We begin to think that we have no value or no identity and there's no significance in our lives. We, we feel dissatisfied in our lives. I can put my hand up. I'll put my hand up for all of us. We've had sig- and those moments where we feel insignificant, right? And often, even like it did with Hannah here, I believe that she did this and it can lead us to jealousy, right? As she looked at the, I don't know what she called her, sister wife, right? She looks at the other wife. Is that okay? I don't know, right? She, but so dissatisfied or worthless that she couldn't even eat. And today we see people turning to other things, right? We see people turning to romance to fill that void, turning to a bad relationship. Goodness sakes, you just turn on the TV, turn to sex, it makes everything good. We turn to drugs or alcohol, something that makes you feel, something that masks the pain. Hannah's story is probably in one way or another a lot like our stories in life. But then we come to verse 9. She has a moment. If we move too fast, we can miss things in Scripture. So don't miss this in verse 9. Verse 9 says this, Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. That phrase, then Hannah rose. If we just read through this, we might think, okay, thanks. Thanks, dude, for the details. Like, she stood up. Good job. Way to go. That, that really helps me. But when it says that Hannah rose in Hebrew, it shows a decisive action. It's saying that she stood up. She made a choice. It was a decisive moment for her. You guys ever have those moments where you're like, man, I don't care what anybody else says. Man, I'm going to stand up for myself. Or I'm going to stand up for what... It, are you with me, church, or am I talking to myself? Are, you, are, you, are, we, are we... Okay. It was a decisive moment for her. And we'll see what she decided here in just a second. We'll see the change in her over these next few verses. Verse 9, so she rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting in the room. So she's gone to pray and was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. This is when we see Hannah, she's depressed, she feels ashamed, she feels no value, she doesn't understand, she's being harassed, she's told that there's no significant security and identity in her life, she's been seeking from and listening to the culture around her for long enough, she's been listening to Panina long enough, right? And what does she do? She stands up and she seeks the Lord. She seeks the Lord. She prays to the Lord. She is real with God. 
She brings her true feelings to God, her hurt, her emotions, her tears, and she seeks and calls on the Lord. She holds nothing back from the God that created her. In fact, we won't be able to look at all of these verses, but in verses 13 through 15, she basically, she just lays it all out there for God. She's weeping. In fact, in those verses, the priest thinks she's drunk. Right? Because she's just kind of just let it all go. And she kind of begs the priest not to think of her as a worthless woman. But she tells him that, hey, priest, I'm just giving it all to God here. That's what you're seeing here. I'm just letting it all go. And the priest tells her when she's done praying and she makes a vow, he says, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. So he kind of on her behalf kind of prays for her. Church, when was the last time, ladies, moms, when was the last time you stopped listening to culture, you stopped listening to the Paninas, and you took it to God? When was the last time you brought it all to God? Okay, God, you can have all of it, but you can't have this closet right here. I'm not going to open that up for you, right? He knows you inside and out. He loves you and wants to hear it from you. Nothing you say to God will surprise him. And here is her prayer. She makes a vow to God in verse 11. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but you will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and a razor shall never come on his head. Notice she says this. She says, remember me. This carries the meaning to remember, to call to mind, to think about me. Have me in your mind. She's showing here that she believes that God, the creator of heaven and earth, the God of the universe, she believes that he cares for her and that he knows her and that he will keep her in mind that he thinks about her. She's humbly coming to God feeling insignificant and worthless and she's coming to God with a huge amount of faith in him. Hannah stood up and she sought the Lord and we see here that she trusts the Lord. She trusts the Lord. She trusts in who he is. She trusts that he cares for her. Sometimes we just need to hear that, right? That God, you hear me and I can trust in you. I know you care for me. She trusts that he is a a personal God and not just the old man with the long beard waiting to, to zap you whenever you mess up. Man, whoever you heard that from, if that's your story about God, man, I'm sorry. Man, that's not who God is. He's a personal God. And she trusts in that God that although others are saying other things about her, she's coming to the Lord God Almighty, the one that made her and values her and wants a relationship with her. Even when we do come to God, sometimes we don't trust Him. So we can seek the Lord, but then we don't trust Him. We kind of come to Him with these prayers. And in the back of our minds, like, really, is is He really listening to me? Right? Does he really care about little old me prayer? But she's coming to God trusting that he hears her and cares for her and says, God, look on my affliction and remember me. And then she shows that she trusts God with her vow. And she's saying, if you you give me a son, God, I will give him to you all the days of his life. This isn't making it, this isn't like God, let's make a deal, right? That's not how God works, by the way, just so we know that. She's making what is called a Nazarite vow. She's fully trusting God with her affliction and her needs, but then she's really trusting Him. If God blesses her with this, she's trusting God completely with her future son. A Nazarite vow, we can't dive into all of that, but a Nazarite vow means she will dedicate her son to serve and follow God in the temple all the days of his life. When a person made that vow, made a Nazarite vow, you are basically giving up everything, anything you wanted to pursue in life and living completely for God. And she's making that vow for her hopeful future son. 
Think about this. What's a son give you, right? He gives you significance. He gives you value. He gives you a future, right? Identity, security, all those things. And she's really now coming to God, and she's really renouncing all of that to God. This isn't a little vow or a little deal that she's making with God. All the reasons that society said that you need a son, she's saying, God, if you give me a son, I'm going to give him right back to you. I trust you with my son. And that means he's not going to be there to work in the fields. And that means he's not going to be there to protect her. And that means he's not going to be there to care for her and provide for her when she gets older. She's fully trusting God with all of those things, with her security, her identity, and her significance. It's no longer believing in what society says. It's no longer in what Panina says. She is showing that she has confidence in the Lord. She seeks him. She trusts him. She has confidence in him. And then she talks with the priest, and then in verse 18, after she prays to the Lord, she makes the vow, after she says, says all those things, lays it out for God, look at what she does. She said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. Listen to this. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Now keep this in mind. She's going to get pregnant. We know that. We can read ahead. But she doesn't know that. She doesn't know that she's going to get pregnant. This is before she gets pregnant. This is before she has a kiddo. It wasn't in this order. And this is important, church. Don't miss this. It's not like she went and prayed and made a vow to God, and then she got pregnant, and then she became happy. Are you following me? It's very important that we understand what happened here. She prayed. She gave it all to God. She had her time with God. She went on her way. She ate, and her face was no longer sad. And it wasn't until later in verse 19 and 20 that we see that she laid with her husband and she got pregnant and then she has her baby. So it wasn't, well, God granted my wish and so now I'm happy. She sought the Lord, she trusted him, she had confidence in him, and then she finds her ultimate joy in the Lord. It's not in what culture said, it wasn't even in a child, it was in God. Do we see that this morning? She's not even pregnant yet. She doesn't even know what's going to happen. This shows us she wasn't worried about finding joy in what the world had to offer her anymore. She found true joy in the Lord, knowing that he heard her. The creator of this world heard her. Moms, God hears you. And he cares about you. All her life, she sought finding joy in what the culture said and what others said and having a kid and having a son and the life that she should have had if she could have only had children. Now she just says, man, I found the true source of joy and it's in God. It says in the first part of verse 19 that they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned again to her house in Ramah. We're not going to have time to walk through all of this, but we see what what that joy in the Lord leads her to. It leads her to this. She worships the Lord. Worships the Lord, not not that she just showed up at Authentic Life Church back in Ramah, back in the day, right? I'm sure there was an Authentic Life Church back then. It's a joke, man. It wasn't there. He's looking at me like I'm serious. I'm just kidding. Worship the Lord means that you're really sacrificing and giving everything to God. Are you with me, church? 
we, we kind of tend to think that we, we come to worship and we worship through song and that, we, that is part of it. But everything you do is for the glory of the Lord. That's worship. She worships the Lord. She worships God in verse 19. She gets pregnant later in, in, in that verse. We see in verse 20 that she does indeed have a child, a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. And then verses 21 through 25, we see Hannah. She, she's, she's being a mother to Samuel and she's weaning him. And that's how that was done. And then she takes him to Shiloh to dedicate him to the service of the Lord all the days of his life. Look at me at verse 27. It says this, For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition which I asked of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is dedicated to the Lord, and he worshipped, talking about Samuel, Samuel worshipped the Lord there. So then it became for him, he, he began to worship. In chapter 2, verse 1, her joy and her worship continues. It says in verse 1, as she prays, my heart exalts in the Lord. Then she says, my horn. For them, the horn was a symbol of strength and power. Are you with me? So really she's saying, my heart exalts in the Lord, and then my strength and power is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation, right? There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Church, she found her life, her security, her identity, her significance in God and no longer depended on on her family or her children or social media like Facebook, like the Hebrew Facebook or whatever it was back in the day, church. She was no longer worried about that, but she found it in God. And here's more to the story that will help us uh, out a bit as we lead into our moments of child and family dedication here in just a second. This son, Samuel, that she prayed for and dedicated to God Man, Samuel was used greatly by God. Read through these, these two books, used greatly by God. And, and anybody know who King David is? You guys know the story of King David? Even if you don't like Jesus, you know who King David is, right? right? He would grow up as a priest to be a great prophet, and Samuel was the prophet that would anoint David to be the king of Israel. Man, God used him greatly because his mom said, I dedicate him to the Lord. Hannah, a woman that was pressured by her culture, that was beaten up by Panina, a woman that sought her identity and her significance and her value and security in every other place but her creator. One of the hardest things about being in Tucson is I love my mom, man. Anybody just miss your mom sometimes? Mom's 20 hours away. When we first moved down here, man, it was tough. I remember, I'm not, I'm not even a mama's boy. I got on the phone and just cried and said, Mom, I want to come home. There's just something about your mom. Are you with me? Your mom shows you that significance and that gives you that security and the value, but even more than your mom or dad ever could. Your creator. She stood up. She sought the Lord. She trusted the Lord. She had confidence in the Lord. She found her ultimate joy in the Lord, and she worshiped the Lord. Today, in a world where there are a lot of pressures to look a certain way, to be this mom or that mom, to have this job or that job, to have this degree or that degree, to have this much money or to be in this relationship, or you get all those things, we we need to ask ourselves, in what or in who am I seeking my safety and my security and my value and my worth? Are you with me, church? Every single one of us, we need to ask, in who are we seeking that? 
in what are we seeking? Because as Hannah shows, she was seeking in all the wrong places. But our identity, our security, our significance, it's not in what the culture or what the paninas of the world think. Our eternal value, our eternal security, our eternal significance, our identity is found in the Lord God. Mothers, be encouraged this morning because God loves you. He values you, even if you are not a mother yet or you may never will be, right? God values you and he loves you and he hears you. If you're in here this morning and you're hurting or you're struggling with some things, be encouraged today because God hears you. And he loves you and he values you and he gives you purpose and meaning. Church, everybody, today be encouraged in the Lord. Stop pursuing other things in life that don't matter and pursue the Lord. It's all found in Jesus, the one that came because he so loved you and wanted that relationship with you and wants you to know who you are in him. So we seek him, we trust him, we have confidence in him and we find real joy in him. And that leads us to worship him with all that we have and all that we are. Let's pray this morning.